everyone. Uh, Kyle and Jeff back with another episode of Pain Points. Um, hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Doing pretty well, Kyle. How about you? Doing well, doing well. I think, you know, with this episode, what we want to do is just do a quick check-in with uh, each other um, with the pandemic and see how our lives have changed and, you know, what new products and services we've uh, discovered or continue to use more of um, now that we have to adjust to this kind of new normal. So Jeff, let me know, how, how has your life changed because of the pandemic? Um, well, I think, geez, I think we're in week, might be like week nine now of, <laughs> yeah. uh, of being uh, sequestered in, in my apartment. Um, but uh, I've gotten used to it. It's, it, it's, it's still, it, it feels like the new normal of, you know, waking up and walking into the other room and that's where I work for the day. Um, and, you know, I go grocery shopping maybe once a week and go for a walk every couple days, just trying to get some fresh air. Um, um, so it was a bit slow maybe for the first month or two when it was still pretty cold, but now that it's getting nice outside, I feel like it's starting to feel a bit different. Um, a bit more positive, a bit more upbeat. Um, how about you? Yeah. Um, well, first thing I wanted to ask is, how long did it take you to feel like you were adjusted? Because I would say for me, it was quite a long time. Like, you know, maybe it felt like maybe a month. And it had really nothing to do with the weather. I think it had just more of just being adjusted to working from home on a regular basis and just being home all the time. How was that transition for you? Well, in terms of the working from home piece and actually being productive working from home, I think that that yeah. started uh, a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I'd been working just off of a laptop for, for so many weeks here at home and mm -hmm. I just couldn't take it anymore. I'm so used to having one or two monitors um, at a desk so, and I didn't have one here. So I, I bought a new one and it arrived and I set it up and game changing, just game changing in my productivity. But uh, yes. on, on the non-work side, I guess, um, it took me a while. It took maybe like a month or so while things were still new and changing. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget like the first few weeks of this whole thing. It, it was very, it was almost scary at times, right? Like you really didn't know mm -hmm. what was happening and how bad was this getting and um and then after maybe a few three to four weeks it started to just become routine it's like yeah every day i watch the prime minister at 11 o'clock on, <laughs> on the news and then i watch the yeah. premiere and we get updates and then it becomes kind of like this new routine and i don't know how about you are you how long did you find it took to actually adjust yeah, like, I mean, for work and being productive, aside from times where I just actually had no choice and I had to, like, buckle down, maybe, like, two, three weeks ago. And it, back then, I didn't have a monitor or anything set up. Now that I have my office set up, it, it's been a lot better. And I'd say I'm back to, to you know, 90% of what I was before. I think outside of work, the main thing I would say is, we had such a routine before with all the activities that we were doing, social gatherings, et cetera. And, and, you know, we had that really pretty well optimized. And then now that 
we had to stay home and a lot of things got canceled and things that we love to do before are just not available, such as like recreational sports or going out for a bite to eat. It, it was, it's been really hard to adjust, I think, from the social aspect. It's like, okay, you know, we have a lot of time to spend with one another and it's great, but it's like, we're just so used to being out there. Um, and we found ways to adjust, but I don't think, and we can get into later, like all the different technologies, there's some that have been more effective than others, but it just, you just can't replace the, the interaction that I think we all as humans, you know, crave, whether we want to admit it or not. Absolutely. So like, yeah, how's the social, how's the social thing been with well, you? Yeah, I mean, for the first six, seven weeks, it's, it was like pretty, things were pretty quiet. We, uh, we were getting into routines of doing Zoom calls with some friends, like on a schedule. Yeah. So like every Saturday night, we have a big group of friends and a different group would lead doing like a trivia night. Um, and it was fun. And it it's, is, what's interesting about it is that we were actually, you know, virtually, but we, we were seeing these friends on a weekly basis where we normally wouldn't see each other maybe for months at a time. So that was kind of interesting is, you know, the virtual has always been there. It's always been an option, but it just never yeah. had the adoption that it has right now. Um, so I kind of like the virtual aspect of, you know, it's definitely not as good as seeing friends or family in person, but um, it, definitely you know serves a purpose in the middle there of like yeah well you can't physically see each other every week but this is like a nice in between so that what, what's your hold on what's your zoom call number of participants threshold before it starts to become stupid because i have a number and i'm very interested to know what your number is so well i guess we do a uh we have a like a weekly call with um a bunch of couples so there's like probably six or seven couples, but it's not everyone. Wow. But, but, but it's not everyone talking <laughs> okay. over each other. It's uh, we've been like playing games where it's like trivia and like yeah, yeah. one party is like asking the questions and everyone else is like doing the answers. So uh, it's been manageable. I think if it gets over like five people, it's just, it's not, it's not a good time because everybody's trying to talk and it's, like you're sitting and waiting for like people to finish their thought and it's fine. It's just not the, the, the way that you would have a conversation if you were, you know, next to that person. Cause you could have side conversations or, you know, see their body language a little bit more clearly. I think if it's under five, then, you know, you've probably got an okay conversation going. Um, but I know that if it gets higher than that and I've done it with some family things, it's just like, okay, you know, you're just kind of listening and some people aren't really that engaged and, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, I mean, we're still connected, not, but it's yeah. definitely not the same. That's for sure. I mean, we we social distance saw some friends the other day, and it's it's so much different. Like being in, you know, being able to see people um, in in physical space is not the same thing as seeing them on a little rectangle on a computer screen. Um, mm -hmm. So. But I mean, there you know there are pros and cons to the to the virtual. I think the, I've said some of the pros and some of the cons there. In terms of other aspects of life in the pandemic right now, I think I think the social distancing has been 
interesting. Um, you know, I've been going a lot for a lot of, here's a benefit is like, I've been going for lots of walks in my neighborhood just to kind of get some exercise. And um, it's quite interesting trying to change all of your human behaviors as it pertains to like walking around your neighborhood. Where all of a sudden you're having to like dodge people and pause and wait for another group to walk by. And um, that will never get normal for me. That it's it's really bizarre. It's, it just goes against, I think, nor all like human behaviors. Yeah, there's nothing like you know encountering a runner who's like in the zone, sweating up a storm, headphones on, sunglasses on, and just beelining it down the sidewalk. And you're there, and he's like, "Am I gonna move? Is he gonna move? Who's gonna make the maneuver so that we're not close to one another?" And sure enough, you know the runner just draws right fast, just goes straight, doesn't change their, their line, and we have to accommodate. I think there has to be some kind of, you know, unwritten rule where it's like you both move a little bit or the first person that makes the move is committing to that. But I think everybody is still trying to, <laughs> trying to figure out how to do the whole sidewalk sharing thing and keeping the, the whatever, six feet or whatever it is away from each other. Yeah, I think that... And I mean, a lot of our, our norms were, have probably been developed over many, many years and generations. And now all of a sudden we're thrust into this situation where norms need to develop immediately. <laughs> and, and how quickly are they going to spread? Like how quickly are people going to like identify what is a, what is a good way to handle a certain social situation? and you know, keeping the certain protocols like physical distancing and whatnot. Um, what is the ideal way to do that? And then for that idea to spread and, and then more and more people you know, figure out that new way. I mean, you can, ex you can rely on, I guess, our the government and organizations to kind mm -hmm. of communicate some of those, but as we've seen, like that doesn't even work <laughs> most of the time. Um, it's, it's hard to change human behaviors for, for one person. Um, it's yeah. incredibly hard to change an entire population's human behaviors. So it's been, it's been quite interesting to watch. Yeah, definitely. Well, why don't we jump into some of the categories that, you know, I think has have to change in our daily lives, you know, food or shopping or whatever. And, and let's just see how, you know, maybe we're taking a different approach and we'll learn something from each other. Yeah. So how about let's start off with um, food in terms of what has it been like in this pandemic um, buying food? Um, so why don't you start with that? Yeah. So I think for us, we do a lot of grocery shopping. We've always been, you know, ones to cook at home. And that's just kind of amplified because of the circumstances, obviously. I just haven't found a way to, to, to effectively get groceries um, at a cheap price um, other than just going to the grocery store. And I hate the fact that I have to line up to go to the grocery store. Like nothing grinds my gears more to, to steal a term from you than, than lining up to go to a grocery store. I just think I get it. I, I just can't get used to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess there's no, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, I've, I think I've been lucky in that I found a grocery store where I don't have to line up. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, 
have a car, so I actually will drive pretty far out of my neighborhood, um, out of the city into a much more suburban neighborhood uh, to get to a grocery store where I've had great success because they are just not that busy. So I don't actually, I haven't experienced that having to wait in, in lines. Like I've definitely seen it, seen it on the news and I've driven by some grocery stores where people are waiting in a social distance lineup outside of the store. Um, fortunately, I, I think I found a way to avoid that. Just got to make a bit of a trek. Have you ever done the grocery gateway or, or order your like click and collect or whatever um, online grocery shopping? No. Um, I'm pretty sure when I was a kid and I lived at home, my, my mom did grocery gateway once. Um, right. And it was, it was quite funny. I, I don't know if you ever ordered it back in the day, but they used to, they would literally bring the food into your kitchen. They would, they wouldn't just like leave it at the door. They would put on these like, I don't know, shoe coverings. Um, <laughs> booties, yeah. These little booties. And they would bring the groceries <laughs> all the way into your kitchen. Um, wow. Do they put it away too? I don't know. I thought, I, I think I remember hearing about a service <laughs> that would actually stock your fridge or pantry or something. That's a little too invasive for my liking. That's insane. Yeah, um, I don't know. So, but during the pandemic, no, we, we, at the beginning of all this, we tried doing an Instacart, but we couldn't find any options of like time slots available. So uh, we haven't ordered any groceries. Um, how about you? No, I, I don't think I would either. I like to see the produce and all this stuff. I really generally like the act of going to the grocery store and, and, and buying groceries. I think it's a good kind of stress reliever for me. You know, I, I, and, and just to shift gears, like I have never been like an Uber Eats or Skips Dishes fan either. Like if I was going to order food, I would call them. Like I never use the app. But now, you know, that we have to abide by whatever the business, whatever rules that they're, they're following, like some will be like, yeah, you could call in. Some will be like, you have to use the app, et cetera. Like I've gotten used to Uber Eats a little bit more, especially around like ordering you know, bubble tea is a big thing for us. So, you know, we can order bubble tea really easily on Uber Eats and go and pick it up. Like, I think that's something that will stick with me, but the whole Uber Eats ordering food and then like having it delivered from, from a company that, you know, doesn't specialize in delivery, like the, the restaurant itself, like, are they going to pack it right? Is it going to be fresh, et cetera? All those questions go always trace through my mind. So I'm like, okay, let me call and I'll pick it up. And I know that it'll be like as close as I can get to from the kitchen. So I, I on the other hand, have some experience here because we've, <laughs> yeah. been, we've been ordering in usually like one dinner per week just to give ourselves yeah. a break from cooking or rather give my girlfriend a break from cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I do the cleaning. She does the cooking. Right. Um, and I think we, we ordered a... We, I guess probably like seven or eight meals at this point. And I honestly think that with every single order, we have been very disappointed in, in the food. Like, mm. and, and it's not, and these are restaurants that we've liked before. Um, and I think it's partly because I think a lot of the food is sitting there waiting uh, to be picked up by the delivery person. And if you really think about it, from the time the food is prepared and it's ready to eat till the time it reaches my mouth is probably like 
35 to 40 minutes. And yeah, um, and I think, I think you notice it. I think that yeah, the quality is just not there when you order deliveries. That's like issue number one. And we kind of reached a turning point the other day after do, ordering a meal. We said, you know what? This is just not that good and it's not worth it. So that's like yeah. problem number one. Problem number two. But that, hold on. That yeah. was always a problem with, with Uber Eats though. Like, I think what's happening in the pandemic, that's, a, that's just being magnified. Perhaps. Because... Because we had ordered, we'd ordered Uber Eats and stuff in, in many months past before the pandemic. And we never really walked away with that thinking that this isn't good. Um, so maybe, the, oh, it's really? just, maybe it's just getting worse right now. I don't know if like their food supply chains are affected. Maybe they're not getting as good of ingredients, maybe with like proteins or something. I don't know. But um in general, though, we haven't been overly impressed. Like, we haven't had a single delivered meal where we go, that's great. I can't, you know, I'm going to do this even once restaurants open up again. Like, there's something mm. to be said for getting food that is made fresh and eating it fresh. The second problem, though, we've found is we just don't like that Uber takes such a massive cut because what happens is, is that the, the restaurants raise their prices on the uber mm -hmm. platform so we actually did a comparison the other day looking on uber eats versus skip the dishes priced out the exact same order and on uber eats it was five to six dollars more for the exact same order wow and the reason is is because they take such a huge cut so we also just don't like that aspect i don't, I don't really believe that this food delivery network needs to be taking such a huge cut um, from these restaurants. I think that we could move to a future where, you know, delivery is just another, you know, a, a, another overhead cost for a restaurant, but it's not one that should be taking 30% cut or something. Well, especially in this climate where a lot of the restaurants are struggling and then they give out have to get out those transaction fees as well as any credit card transaction fees, et cetera. How, I'm not sure if that's included in Uber or not, but like it, times are tough already for these local businesses. And it's like Uber's just doing their darndest to, to make as much money as they can right now. And I guess, you know, that's, that's what, they're, what they're promising their shareholders. And there's not a lot of people taking Uber rides anymore. So they have to make up the revenue somewhere. Um, so I understand, but you know, I think to your point, there's something to be said around the options around delivering and the options around ordering food, because I've encountered companies or restaurants rather that have developed their own apps and tried to bypass the whole skip dishes, Uber Eats, uh, you know, main players and try to take some of that margin for themselves. And I will say that of the few that I've tried, the experience is just not the same. And I would say, you know, borderline, I would not do it again. Like, it's just really bad experience. And they just don't have any, have any expertise in, in, in generating a, like a really user-friendly app. And I think so, you know, Uber's probably thinking like, these guys can't do it as well as we can. So we're going to command these fees. And so that it puts the restaurants at a predicament. 
Yeah, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I agree. It, very few restaurants I've seen have ever been able to come up with good technology for, for ordering. The only, the, the only companies that I think have done any kind of mediocre job there are like pizza delivery companies. Um, like Domino's shows you the progress of your pizza being made and Pizza Pizza shows you a visual of your pizza and what it looks like as you add on toppings and specify, put it on half the pizza, things like that. Um, so yes, yeah, some restaurants are in a position to solve that, but I agree, most are not, and especially small little restaurants. And, yeah. and, and, and if they do try to, to the consumer, that's actually a bit of a pain because now I got to sign up for a new thing and create a new account. Oh, and, it's horrible. Um, so I don't know, I guess restaurants are just kind of stuck in this predicament where they need good technology to get their food to their customers. Um, but it's really hard for them to develop it themselves. So then they have to go to these massive platforms, but they take such a ridiculous cut that it bumps up the prices of their food. So I don't know. I think something's got to give though. Like this, uh, this current business model just doesn't seem very sustainable in my eyes. And I think that maybe people are just going to say, you know what, we don't order in food off of Uber anymore. Like we go, we go physically to the restaurants because we want to support them. Um, or, mm -hmm. or maybe you pick them up like you do. I don't know. But I'm kind of, I'm out on food delivery at the moment until I, yeah. until I get bored or forget and then we'll do it again. <laughs> I would say just one comment on the restaurants um, and, and the little guys versus Uber Eats is that, you know, you brought up a good point with the pizza delivery companies like Domino's having the pizza tracker. I love that thing. And that's probably why I continue to order Domino's to this day. But that was well before this pandemic, and they made it a point to incorporate that into their business strategy. Maybe they were being reactive at the time, but maybe, you know, they were, I would argue that they were being more proactive and, and just saying this is a pillar of success for, for Domino's. You know, fast forward to the COVID situation and, and small businesses or even medium, medium restaurant, medium-sized restaurants looking to react to this pandemic to come out with their new apps. Like this is just an example of when you are in a more reactionary position that whatever you might produce is not going to be as high quality as you'd like it to be. And, 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 and you have to be constantly looking at, you know, how is my business model gonna be disrupted and how to prepare for that? Um, even if there's no pandemic or, or, or need to change. Well, it's a great point because if you think about it, the pizza companies that invested years ago in that capability mm -hmm. uh, are probably, maybe not thriving right now, but they're probably doing really well because they're not completely dependent on Uber Eats to get their food at the door. So yeah, um, I, I agree. I think there's something to be said for being forward thinking like some of those pizza companies were about we need to control this ourselves. We need to invest in technology. Um, so it's interesting though, is there's not many other, I can't really think of any other examples off the top of my head of food companies that have invested in, in that. I mean, 
the thing is, is that these companies already had delivery people and now they just, so they were already in the business of delivery and this is maybe just an extension of technology, um, you know, providing more value around the delivery. Yeah. And that's a good point. Like a pizza delivery guy has always been around. That's part of their business model. They just evolved that. Maybe, you know, if, you know, Kyle and Jeffrey go start a restaurant tomorrow, it's like our business model would be like not only having excellent food, but it's got to be deliverable. And that changes the chemistry of the food that you're delivering as, you know, case in point, what you're experiencing now with uh, Uber Eats. It's like, yeah, you know, the quality has been deteriorated because the time between kitchen to table is so much more is so is so extended now versus you know going to the restaurant that you know you have to kind of build in into your product that that level of quality in in terms of you know this is when the person will enjoy it and it might not be right when you cook it like it is in a traditional restaurant but it'll be an hour later and it still has to be good so you get return customers Right. So I think that's a good point is some food will will work well in this direct to consumer uh, model of delivering it right to your door and some foods won't. Um, yeah. But uh, I guess building off of the food theme um, and going online for some of these things that we typically buy is let's maybe just talk about shopping in general. So how has your shopping of various goods been affected during the pandemic? Um, I should probably freeze my credit cards because <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a shopping spree and I would say it's not like clothes or anything like that. Obviously I have no, I wear the track pants or now shorts every day and a t-shirt like it, that doesn't matter. It's shifted towards like household goods, like furniture or um entertainment like you know a nintendo switch game or something like that it it's been you know varying degrees of 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 uh you know great experiences like some good some bad but you know i've been just spending more i don't know about you yeah i well probably not as bad as you but um <laughs> i've definitely done more and i mean we've covered this in previous episodes like i don't yeah. do a lot of online shopping and i've done more of it in the last eight weeks of this pandemic than i did probably in the last two to three years in total um and i think part of the problem is is that we're all sitting at home there's not as much to do and shopping yeah. is something to do and there's tons of stuff that you everyone wants so there's not a lot of a physical barrier to just kind of like popping onto amazon and you know taking a look at some products and you know it's <laughs> a couple clicks next thing you know it's uh it's on its way to your house so it's it's that's the danger i feel like and i'm kind of happy that for so many years i just never i guess gave in uh to, to to online shopping because i guess it could be kind of a slippery slope if you get a little you, you yeah. enjoy it too much and then all of a sudden you're spending more money than maybe you really originally wanted to um but uh what what type of stuff have you been buying and is it maybe different than what you would normally be buying during the course yeah of 
So this, this quarantine period has um, allowed my wife and I to in-depth, do an in-depth assessment of <laughs> the furniture and how our, our house is set up. And so as a result, you know, we're frequenting Wayfair, we're frequenting Ikea or any, anything really that, you know, can fill the void for, you know, this wall needs picture frames or we could really use a new dresser, et cetera. Um, and, you know, for the most part, we go back to Ikea and I like Ikea, so that's fine. Um, but I would say that the Ikea experience, and I mean, we could probably do quite, quite some time on this, so let's try to keep it brief, but I would say the Ikea experience throughout this whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic has been um, terrible. <laughs> I don't know if, it, if is that is that strong enough, but it's just, I'll give you an example. You know, I have been trying to buy this one item or this, these two items, which are just filing cabinets from Ikea for the longest time. Here's what I've gone through. Out of stock, fine, that's no problem. Back in stock, but the server is too busy and I can't add anything to the cart. Then I'm, I'm finally added it to the cart and then it's like deliveries. I don't want to do delivery. I want to do click and collect, which is now available. No available spots. Doesn't even say like any, any projected time, nothing. It's just like, we can't do click and collect period. So, you know, now I'm going to do delivery and, you know, finally got that through, but it's been like quite the experience with Ikea's website over the last, I don't know, I would say over a week now for these items. Well, I don't know if you've experienced the same thing. I've experienced the same and worse because I actually <laughs> placed an order with an Ikea about, yeah. I think it was five weeks ago now, just under five. Click and collect? Um, I think it was click and collect. I paid some sort of option. It said delivery would take four to six weeks for my items or it would be about two weeks with this option where you pay five bucks and then they ship it to a pickup place. I think that maybe yeah. that's the click and collect service. I don't know. Um, and then it sent me in like a notification that like they've started, they're on step one of step six. Um, and then yeah. every day that would pass every week that would pass, I'd go log in and the status would never change. Like, and then I finally hit the original estimated pickup date and I, and I waited for about an hour and a half on the phone. And then I finally, after half an hour longer, I think got onto their chat and I said, what's the deal? And they said, yeah. oh, well this, everything has taken four to six weeks and you'll get an email when it's been like moved to step two of six. So uh, it's annoying, whatever. These aren't essential items, but I th I'm actually just more disappointed in, in yes. Ikea because yeah. I, I think I've mentioned them in the past that they're, I've held them in such high regard over the years. I think that they're such a fascinating company, their history, uh, their expansion, their, I guess, innovations when it comes to in creating new products and I just think there's a lot of cool things about that company and they have totally, totally dropped the ball on this pandemic when this is, look, there's a lot of businesses that are just booming right now and they could have mm -hmm. been one of them. And it's, I don't know why I'm very interested in understanding 
why did they get this so wrong? Why were they so incapable of taking online orders and organizing times for people to come pick them up? Well, yeah, I mean, to, 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 to my previous point is like, for me to not even get a time for click and collect is like the biggest problems. Like, so you're telling me I can't give you money right now? Like, it could have been like eight weeks and I'd be like, okay, like whatever. Okay, at least I have a time. They can't even provide, like, they can't even let you go to the payment part. They're like, we're over capacity. I'm like, as a business, if I was working, you know, in, the, in Ikea and I'm overseeing some of these units and, and, and I'm looking at them like, I can't accept people's money if they're willing to give it to me. This is just an out, like, what is going on here? It's and so. Real, it's a real missed opportunity for a business. Right? Oh, yeah. Because they're for sure struggling in other ways financially. Um, but this is where a company needs agility and an ability to pivot really quickly. Mm -hmm. And if, yeah. you know, pre-pandemic, IKEA didn't need to manage intaking thousands of online inquiries and organizing pickup times, fine, I get that. But you're a multi-billion dollar company. This is your moment to be agile, act like a startup in a way and build that new capability and build it really, really quick. And, you know, I see in the news on a daily basis about all these new startups that are coming up with new solutions, um, mm -hmm. tackling different th aspects of this pandemic. I have, I, where I would have expected to see a big player come up with something rather innovative, they didn't. And I just think that's disappointing. You know what, I have to think of, you know, what is the real root of the problem here for Ikea? And maybe it's not technology. And maybe, I think it might be labor. Like, you still need somebody to, like, collect and look at all the orders and, like, piece it all together and then make it available. I think that they might have a real issue with labor and organizing, you know, manpower to do the tasks. Like, the online system could probably take it as many orders as it can, you can throw at it. But I think to organize somebody to, to deliver on all of the, all of the orders, um, I think they're having a real problem getting people to do that in light of like working the conditions, making sure that everything's safe, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a lot of moving parts in that, in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't minimize the problem. I imagine what they need to accomplish mm -hmm. to get, a good version of this up and running is probably an incredible amount of work and they'd have to implement new systems, new processes, um, new types of roles for people. Like there's, it's not an easy task, but, um, but this is the monumental opportunity and the big challenge that big companies have when, you know, there's an opportunity for you to thrive and continue making lots of money, but you're going to have to kind of move mountains first. Yeah. Um, so I think that one's an interesting thing when we talk about shipping and delivery. Um, I think that, you know, we talked about uh, the Arrive app in the past, and I think it's during this pandemic, they actually rebranded the app. Now it's called Shop. And Yes, saw that. Um, so what's interesting is, you know, something like delivery is, is really booming right now. Like 
everyone is ordering, like I'm a good example, someone who didn't typically order that much stuff online and now it's the only way I'm buying anything outside of groceries. Yeah, I think e-commerce is the big winner in this whole pandemic. It, 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 it is going to be the, the one thing that I think, not one, one of the one things that sticks after everything is all said and done. Um, e-commerce is just going to be like, all right, you know, I can go to the store, check it out, or I can uh, just order it online and have it delivered and, and then returns are going to be easier. So everybody along that e-commerce value chain from the technology to the logistics of it all to the products themselves, I think are going to be the big winners in this whole pandemic. So, so basically Jeff Bezos. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I'm completely happy with Amazon either. Like I think the, the, the main thing for me is if it's going to be delivered, it can't take six weeks. Like, and that's just unacceptable. And for some of the office products that I was looking for, for some, for instance, like, um, this like USB hub that I wanted, it, it would have taken like will arrive in mid June. I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And so I think Amazon has had their own labor issues and that's why things have had to be delayed into certain categories, which is totally understandable. But you know, once things get back to normal, the real fight will be around getting it to your doorstep as fast as possible. And then Amazon, again, yeah, you're probably right. You know, Amazon will be the clear winner there, but I think other companies will have a, an opportunity to catch up and maybe provide some of that next day delivery at a cheap cost for the smaller players like local businesses or, you know, even the medium-sized businesses that otherwise didn't put e-commerce into their, you know, overall strategy. Well, I, I mean, I personally have some issues with Amazon. I think that it is maybe a little bit too big and I, mm, yeah. I would, I would, you know, I would prefer to be able to have an option of supporting other businesses. Um, the problem is the describe is, you know, most people like yourself, you know, want convenience and, you know, people are going to make their decisions shopping online on convenience and cost and, yeah. you know, Amazon, let's say 80% of the time is going to be able to provide a better option there. Um, but what I would maybe like to see is uh, maybe there's a way to give more local businesses a fighting chance here, because mm -hmm. I think one thing that we've seen with the pandemic and how it's negatively impacting our economy is that um, countries are going to want to be able to support businesses in their country within their country. So, you know, I live in Canada. If I can buy a product that I want to buy and I can buy it from a, a Canadian retailer, um, I would like to have that option. Um, the problem is, is that, you know, they're kind of going up against this massive beast that is Amazon. So maybe there's a trend there. I mean, I think globalization is, is kind of a, hot topic right now and people are kind of opening their eyes to uh, how we interact with all these other countries around the world and how it affects our economies and our supply chains and I wonder if you know maybe after this people will think twice on where are they buying a product from yeah absolutely and I think it'll be interesting how things shape out you know macro and you know micro kind of economic lens but you know I think one thing I want to ask is what is the minimum amount of time or the maximum amount of time, I should say, that you would wait for a product? 
Well, I'm I'm approaching five weeks now for IKEA, so <laughs> so let's say I, normal conditions. Um, I I don't know. I mean, it really depends. So I'll give you some examples of things that I've ordered over the last two months. Um, so I ordered some books. Um, yeah, and one of them arrived really, really quickly. And that was great because the second it arrived, I picked it up, um, which was nice. We ordered some other books for my girlfriend and hers for whatever reason took like twice or three times as long and it was a bit aggravating. So, you know, that's the kind of product where if I want it now because I want something to read, it'd be really nice if I didn't have to wait two weeks for a book. Um, yeah. But I have, we've ordered other stuff where it's just not essential. It's not that important. And, you know, we ordered some pans and we've been waiting for those now for, it feels like a couple weeks. Um, wow. So on, on Amazon? All, on Amazon. Um, yeah. But th look, that's the, the price you got to pay to get non-stick pans. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, I think for me, I would not, I would not wait more than a week. If it says shipping is more than a week, then I'm kind of out because then I'll look for alternatives and I'll just look to see if I can pick it up locally or, or whatever. I think if for it to make sense, um, you know, there might be some use cases or some cases that, you know, yeah, I'll wait a little bit longer uh, for maybe really niche products. But I think if it takes longer than a week, I think it's just too long and I think it'll affect consumers buying behavior and decision-making. Well, you're talking about convenience, but the other one I said yeah. is cost. And, you know, right. people, I, like I'm sure I weigh that in my mind and you know what, I would take a huge cost saving and, you know, less convenience if I, you know, if I can save 20% on a product and I just have to wait a bit longer, you know, I, I, I might do that. No, you're right. I think people are doing that calculation in their mind and determining, you know, you know, how much is it worth it worth to me to wait? Is it worth 20% off or do I really need this ASAP? I don't know. I think it'll be something that the little guys and the medium sized businesses will need to figure out in order to stay competitive with Amazon because, you know, more and more Amazon is, uh, is, is, is adding more and more services to their Amazon prime. So it makes it more attractive to go for it. It's not just for the shipping, but the music and the video and all that. So, you know, for you to compete with that as a, as a regular retailer, it's going to be really difficult because you can't just, most people can't offer that. So I think you've got to be aggressive on the shipping just like they are. Yeah, I agree. Well, we can, uh, maybe in a future episode, we'll do a follow up on that shop app. Um, because yeah. we, we kind of talked a lot about some of those things and, how they can give smaller retailers an ability to start competing on the convenience aspect. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but let's, let's move on to another topic here. Let's talk about what, I mean, we alluded to it in the, in the opening a bit, but like what's communication been like? Um, so yeah. what, have you, what are your thoughts? I mean, there's a lot of apps that have been really popular in the last couple of months. Uh, what's your take? Yeah. So my wife, um, has been using this app called House Party, and uh, she is just loving it. And I don't know if you've used it before. I don't personally use it, but I've just seen her kind of log on and talk to a few friends. Is that when you're on the House Party app, then anybody can call you at that point. It's like you're 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 open, and uh, people can just like 
poke you or whatever it is. Like, I can't remember the terminology. I'd have to ask her, but they can just poke you and it's like you can accept their their chat request. Or if you're already chatting with somebody and somebody else comes online, maybe it's one of your friends, and your house or your room is open, then they can just join without even any solicitation. So it's it's really cool. I think it's got it's it's a it's a cool way of 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 connecting people and and doing this impromptu kind of conversation over uh, virtual, and it seems to be taken off. I think it's really doing really well in the app store. Yeah. So I haven't tried that one. Um, I've <laughs> uh, been a heavy user of Zoom over the last couple of months, like like most people in the world. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we kind of talked about it. I, I, I think that there's some positives of the virtual conferencing. I think that it's, you know, it's not as good as in person, but it's a nice in between and you can have it more frequently. So it's actually it's quite nice being able to like see friends on on the regular, even if it's just virtually. Um, yeah. So I, I've kind of liked that. Um, what I think I, I'm really, if, I guess, interested in with this communication and conferencing software is, what is where does this go from here? Because, I mean, these tools, a lot of them have all been around for years. Um, you know, Skype really missed the boat on this one. And it, I guess virtual conferencing is really having its moment. So all it's doing is increasing adoption of something that basically already existed. So what is it going to look like when adoption of uh, these conferencing tools really starts to peak? Um, mm -hmm. And what does this, that trend look like? I, I think it's going to be quite interesting to see what the world is going to look like in another five to 10 years when adoption is so mainstream of these tools. Like, do you think people are going to, you know, post pandemic, just stop using these or are they going to use them more or like, where do you think it goes from here? I, I think they're going to use it more. And I think for, for uses that are outside of business, just to, you know, talk about planning a party together and we don't have to like come and meet up and, you know, come over and, and do it all. I think people will find different use cases for Zoom and these, these, these kind of conferencing apps outside of the workplace, which I think is really interesting. And so, you know, tapping into a whole different uh, user segment and building up, you know, capabilities to help them do whatever tasks they need to do is, is going to be kind of maybe the next wave for these, these apps. Yeah, it, I could easily see it becoming more of a regular part of our lives, even when this pandemic is, you know, behind us. I could see it as just a, another way to communicate with people on the regular. I mean, we've, we've had it for years, right? Like we have FaceTime yeah. built into our phones. Um, people have been sending selfie videos on Instagram and Snapchat for years. So like yeah. a lot of the, the pieces were there, but we've kind of just, I guess, gone through this moment of massive adoption. Well, what, what do you think about those, those dedicated appliances that are basically video conferencing hardware, like Mike, uh, not Microsoft, sorry, Facebook portal, I think it's called. And then Alexa's got their own kind of digital picture frame plus camera. So How do you see that? I think that 
those are great ideas for devices. I just don't like that those companies are the ones coming up with them. Um, right. You know, I don't, I don't think Facebook has earned anyone's trust over the last number of years that we'd feel comfortable with a dedicated Facebook um, camera and microphone in their, in their living room. And likewise for right. Amazon. I mean, I mean, Amazon has adoption of their Alexa type devices, um, but I'm a little skeptical. I, I would much prefer buy those devices from a company that specializes in providing great video conferencing technology that is very private and secure and whatnot. I don't want it. I don't want to buy those products from a company that is, you know, a data mining company like Facebook. Yeah. And I kind of compare this to the telephone. I don't think there was too many alternatives to the telephone. So this might be a bad example, but the telephone companies are in it for one thing and they're there to deliver voice services back like what their previous main business models to deliver voice services as a line of communication between people that cannot physically see each other. And mail, I guess, would be a competitor way back when. It's like, when you think about Facebook, it's like, they're not in it there to deliver communication. They're there to take your data and monetize it. And that just doesn't sit well in terms of, you know, privacy and their intentions in delivering like a really great, I guess, telecommunications solution. I mean, yes, that's one aspect of their business, but it's not their main value proposition. So it's hard for me to say like, yeah, they're, they have my best interests in mind when I'm using it, but yeah. Yeah, I think consumers that fall for that product and buy it, um, they're taking a risk, right? Because yeah. um, the, the, relation, the, the relationship that a customer has with a business um, should be clear. And with them, it's never been clear. I think that, um, you know, when you give away something for free um, to a, you know, a, a massive amount of people, millions and billions of people, um, you know, they're maybe not thinking the way they should be about what is the nature of this business relationship we have here? Like someone's gotta be paying for something and most people don't think about that. But I would prefer to pay for a service if I thought that it was a worthwhile service. So as an example, mm -hmm. in the last year, I, you know, I moved off of Gmail and I paid for a paid email service. Um, yeah. And because I think that there, you know, if I think that that's an important product or service to have, then I should pay for it because then I know the nature of the business relationship I'm getting into as a customer. And I know who's accountable and I know what, you know, what is listed in their job in the, in the product offering. And so if I, I think the future for, for this video conferencing technology is, is not going to be these free tools that come from data companies like Google or Facebook. Um, I think the real winners, or at least the, the, the one on, that will be a winner in my book is a company that is a focused video conferencing technology company yeah so let, maybe let's shift gears to you know an aspect of, of collaboration for work i think you know video conferencing is, is, a, is a big part of that and being able to communicate and have meetings and whatnot share your screen whatever documents 
Um, it's great for, for, you know, replacing in-person meetings, but how do you, how have you been adapting to collaborative work around this pandemic? So I've always been a real fan of some of these product, these web-based productivity tools that allow people to work together and collaborate on projects and stuff. I've, pl I've signed up for every single one out there and played around with them over the years. Um, so Basecamp is a really popular one. I've always been a big fan of Basecamp. Um, we discovered that one called Miro recently that lets you create yeah. mind maps on the fly. And I think these are just great, great tools that um, help solve a really difficult thing uh, for companies to replicate in a virtual remote working world. Like how, you know, not everyone has an option to, to get together and draw things out on a whiteboard. So like, how do you do that in the digital world? Well, you didn't really have an option until these collaborative tools came along where two people could sign into the same piece of software, web-based software, and then uh, both do things on the same document at the same time. And I think it's, I think it's now is a, a great time. I think a lot of companies are experiencing some of these collaborative tools probably for the first time. And they're realizing like, wow, there are ways to work um, in very creative ways, very collaborative ways, even with remote workforce. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there is that the way that I see it is there's, there's two aspects to this, to this remote work movement is one is something that's always been um, present was just file sharing. And I think even if we were working right beside each other or we're working, you know, millions of, or a hundred miles away from each other, whatever it is, um, there's always going to be a need to like share files digitally and, and, and whether you do it through email or some kind of server, there's always going to, that, that need has always been around. Um, and, and what we've seen through the pandemic and probably even before the pandemic is just optimizing how we work on files together. So you see like Google apps, um, Microsoft 365, et cetera, just making it a lot easier. Um, what is the unsolved kind of pain point is collaborative work and how do you replicate, you know, four people within a conference room and a whiteboard, maybe their laptops and they had to solve a problem together or brainstorm. How do you do that effectively when you're not in the same room? And, and I love Mural and I like any kind of app that's within this space that helps us discuss ideas and, and not only discuss them, but also capture them in an easy and uh, intuitive way. Yeah, so I, 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 I love this category of, of products, I think. Uh, what's interesting is it, it's also having its moment right now um, in the yeah. pandemic. And I think what we will see in the years after this is there will be an increased adoption of these tools and perhaps a consolidation um, because mm -hmm. there are so many tools out there, productivity, collaboration type tools for small, medium, enterprise-sized businesses. There are so many out there. And it's, un it's unnecessary to have that many competitors in this space. And I think what we'll see is, and we've seen it over the years, like you got Microsoft um, in its suite of products and Google in its suite of products, and you got 
um, Atlassian and Slack, and there's all these massive players, but I think that we'll probably continue to see further consolidation. Um, and as you know, new features come out as standalone products, then one of the big giants will just copy that feature. I mean, we've seen that with Microsoft Teams, you know, just basically saying, thanks Slack, um, that looks like a good idea. We're gonna go build it into our product and we're gonna price it cheaper. And because everyone already uses all of our office products, now they'll also use Microsoft Teams. So um, yeah. I, I think it's, it's interesting what's happening right now. Again, adoption is having its moment for this type of product category. And I think it'll be really interesting what the trend looks like because, um, you know, I think it's safe to say that remote working, that trend is getting kicked into high gear right now. And it's, I don't think it's going away. I don't think all businesses are going to go remote um, in a year from now. I don't think that's the case, but I do think that this will be a very big tipping point um, that really add some fuel to the fire for that trend yeah so I, I would say like to the companies that might be listening out there is like miro has a bunch of functionality that i don't think you really need i think as 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 somebody that needs to collaborate with another person or a team of people um try to make it as simple as possible and it's got to integrate into the tools that we use today like if i gotta create an account at this you know this particular whiteboarding service, but then we're using Microsoft Teams and et cetera, et cetera. It's like, that's not the way it's gonna, that you're gonna win this battle. And I think you're right, consolidation solves a lot of that. But in terms of building great products, I think you're trying to, I get it, build for growth, build for scale, try to you know, capture clients, capture, capture attention, et cetera. If you make it too complex, People will just be like, all right, I'm out and I'm not going to do this any longer. And so, you know, the, the problem that you and I are outlining is just merely collaborating around a whiteboard. Well, make it as simple as so and, and integrate with the tools that we already use today, I think is probably the main message that I have for these businesses. But I think they're still trying to figure themselves out. And I think it's a great time to try out all these things. But I think simplicity works out and will win in this, in this regard. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think simple solutions probably tend to win in the long, long run. Um, are there any other tools that come to mind on, in terms of collaboration or remote working that have caught your attention? Um, no, I think Miro's been the one that I, I quite like. Um, there's probably some others that that just don't come to mind right now. And there's, you know, I think 365 has some great runway I'm, I'm a big fan of office and microsoft products and i think what they're doing is is really smart um so i'm excited to see how office 365 evolves and i think it's an inevitability that 365 will adopt some of the best features from all the different platforms but i'm excited to see what what the smaller guys do too what do you think how about you sorry uh, well i, I in terms of other ones that have stood out to me, um, no, I think those are good examples. I've I've liked using Miro quite a quite a lot over the last few weeks. Um, I think what I 
find rather interesting though is how many companies are using these things for the first time um yeah because uh a ton of companies have been put into this position where they go okay we are being forced to run our companies remotely how do you do that um and it's really hard to probably do that using just outlook um mm -hmm. and, and sending files around so what I think is quite interesting is how companies are very quickly testing the waters with some of these tools and, and learning what it's like to run their businesses in a different way. Um, because as I was saying before, you know, I don't think a lot of businesses are going to go completely remote after this. I am, you know, there's, there is something to be said about bringing people together in, in an yeah. office. Um, but there will definitely be a huge chunk of them that really, rethink things i mean we've seen in the last couple of weeks alone some massive companies that had really fancy offices that was one of their draws like shopify mm -hmm. and twitter and square are all going completely remote and um i i think that's quite fascinating because running a remote company requires different tools as we're describing it also requires a different culture um you know having people from across your country um, all being part of the same company um, and working together, that, that's amazing that that's possible, but it also requires the right type of culture um, to, to get the most amount of outputs and productivity from that group of people um, versus the traditional model of, you know, you set up an office in a city and you have people that live near that office come work there. Yeah. I mean, we could go, quite some time into remote work. And I think we should save that for a future episode, but I think this is really just a tipping point of how remote work will continue to evolve and, and the adoption of it. I think, you know, the bigger tech companies have spoken out and said, yeah, you know, you can work remotely forever or indefinitely. Um, I think that's just big, bold statements that, you know, sound great now, but um, I'll be interested to see who, who in terms of non-tech companies continue to adopt that and how they integrate. I think it's easy for the tech companies to do it because I think the barrier for using tools is quite low, but for other businesses where it's not like you're using the latest and greatest tools because you just really don't need to, um, how they re react and respond to remote work. So yeah, I think it's an interesting space that we keep an eye on as, as things progress. Definitely. And and how about here as, as a last kind of category, um, is there how has I guess entertainment and fun been affected uh, affected you um, during this pandemic? Well, <laughs> so in terms of entertainment, you know, there's just you got Netflix and you can watch you know movies and stuff. But you know what I've actually done, and I haven't told you this offline, but I've done is is hold like online poker tournaments with some friends. It's just using play money like we do it on poker stars but um we've created our own small poker club which you know poker stars has always had the ability to do but now it's even more popular because people are stuck at home um you know we generally have poker nights but we can't do that now so we're using these online services just to you know play for fun and, and, and go on a video chat or something or text while we're playing um I think that has been a surprise move for, for me at least, is like taking our kind of regular Friday night poker tournament and taking it online. Um, not online in the sense where you're 
playing against whoever in the world, but more just keeping it local, but using it as a platform. Do you think that that will carry on even once maybe some of the social distancing has eased up down the road? I actually, I actually think it, it, it will because it just administratively, it's just way better. It's easier to just like play poker online rather than like dealing the cards and all that stuff, uh, chips and whatnot. Like it does, the computer does it for you, which is awesome. The only thing that I would say is that we're missing that like social interaction. That's that face to face, you know, generally grab some food or pizza or something and we'll have some beers and you know, people that aren't playing can hang out. So, um, you know, I think we'll miss that, but for the hardcore poker players that just want to play and maybe shoot the shit a little bit on the chat, I think it will remain. Yeah, but you know what? I think that, you know, as we were saying earlier about um, kind of some of the pros about doing video conferencing with friends, I think maybe this has just shown people that there are other options. And yeah, maybe what we move on to after this is a hybrid where, um, yeah, you, you see your friends in person, of course, but um, but we don't only rely on that the way we used to. Um, now it's, you see them in person, you have more, you know, which happens maybe the least frequent, and then you have video chats that happens a bit more frequent, and then maybe you have text-based chats the most frequent. It's just like there's a variety of options, and you could say the same thing for your poker game. Like maybe it's like, yeah, yeah, like physically getting together once a week might not be the most feasible thing to do logistically, but then right. digital, you know, can go on week to week digital. So I like how you laid it out there in terms of, you know, how communication would, would be segmented and progress in terms of frequency. Do you think that like, okay, so let's say for example, now, before pandemic, it's like you would text this, your group of friends all the time. But it's like, you know, yeah, we should, it would be from texting to like, yeah, maybe we should meet up. Like nobody called anybody before. Do you think there would be a shift now that, you know, everybody's kind of eased back into calling or video calling or whatever it is, um, that, you know, it'll be go from text to more video chats rather than doing the jump from text to meet up in person? It's possible. I mean, I'm a little bit different. I, my friends and I, we actually call each other on the phone. My girlfriend always laughs. She said she doesn't know any other person. Yeah. Okay. You're actually, you're, that's an outlier for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess we, 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 I, I, we started that trend, I guess, in the uh, early two thousands, I guess, when we all got phones and we've just kept it up. Um, that's cool. But no, I, I, I think that, people will recognize now that they have more options on how to, yeah. you know, maintain a relationship with people over distance. And, and not only that, I think it's shown that it's a really good option when, um, you know, maybe not a pandemic, but when life gets busy, you know, as, as people have less and less time to arrange face-to-face -face time, like how many times have you spoken to someone to say, um, yeah, let's do something uh, next month. And then you kick the can down the road. Oh yeah, we never really arranged that time. Let's, let's do something in another three weeks from now when our schedules are free. And then, you know, it just doesn't really transpire. So, yeah. but you know, I can guarantee you someone can find 15 minutes to very quickly hop onto a video chat with somebody. Um, and 
maybe because that was never a norm, people never saw that as an option, but maybe now people realize like, well, there's a lot more options available to me to communicate with people. Yeah, I find myself connecting with people that maybe, you know, we had like a class reunion for our, our graduating class when we went to business school, just to like celebrate, you know, something that normally happens in person, but we couldn't obviously because of the pandemic. And so, you know, all these people are reaching out and texting me and they're like, yeah, we'll meet up after the pandemic. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. Like, I'm sure it'll be over soon, just being nice. But the, the more that I think of it, the more that I think about it rather is that I should just call these people and be like, it'll probably be the same thing and probably less awkward, a lot less, you know, administration. We don't have to like commit ourselves to like going to a place, meeting up and all this stuff. Yeah, we'll miss out on maybe whatever drinks we get or food we get, but at least we'll have a chance to like converse. And so I'm going to be, I'm going to make a stand and say like, I'm going to do more calling. I think I'm just going to do more calling. I think it's something that we just need to do more. of. Yeah. So I think, I think that uh, maybe people in the past, we were too, we were very selective, you know, we were very selective on who we would see and how often we would see people because the only options we really gave ourselves is physically seeing each other in person and or yeah. maybe like some online chats or something. But now we realize, well, you know what? I, I am now as an individual, I'm more scalable because I can actually uh, yeah. arrange many more interactions through digital. So it basically has made people more scalable when it comes to you know, communicating with others. And don't get me wrong, face-to-face -face is definitely the best way to connect with somebody, but you know, video and, and calling should be used just, just, it should be thought of as just as, just as effective in terms of connecting because you're not, you know, exchanging emails, you're not doing texts, you're having conversations where you can like get a reaction and, and be engaged with that person uh, during that time. So, I think it'll be something that'll stick around. Hopefully that people call, call more. I've always appreciated those that just called rather than texted and wanted to, uh, to meet up, but rather than meeting up rather. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this, this calling byproduct of the pandemic will hopefully remain. I think it will, but with me, that's for sure. Well, I'll tell you one, I'll give you one last um, product that I found on this kind of entertainment topic. Um, okay. So, uh, it's called Jackbox, and they mm -hmm. they make these games, these online games that you can play with friends um, off of a screen, um, and you can do it with your friends in person in front of a TV screen or something, or you can do it remotely and then use uh, something like Zoom to share your screen. Um, and we've done this a number of times over the pandemic, and it's tons of fun to do with friends it's basically yeah there's a number i bought a pack and you get a bunch of games and they have different games where you have to like create a lie and convince your friends that it's the truth or you have like these trivia things and you all look at the screen but then you key in your answers on a phone and it's really it's so tons cool of, tons of fun but i think what's tangent for me is how well the technology works. I find it right. There's maybe a issues, maybe five, five to ten percent of the time. Um, I would actually probably guess it's mostly user error and not the technology. 
Um, I'm just fascinated with how well it works with people submitting in answers off of a website on their phone and then those answers or scorekeeping or communication showing up in real time on the screen on the computer. I, I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, I love that idea. And I played it before, even before the pandemic. Um, they've had they've had like a just on video or they use like a it's like a DVD or something like that, like way back when. Like this company's not new by any means, but you know, I think this is kind of a, a preview of what board games could be and like digital board games using your phones or using computer or the, you know plus the internet could be a whole revolution of of board games like board games are huge right now and it's just like a well before the pandemic and i'd say you know it had a resurgence in terms of you know mass appeal of you know playing you know settlers of Catan or all these other cool games that come out but you know, you add in technology to, to these cool board games, and I think you could really unlock scale um, and, and, and bring in new users and make it a really a viable business. Yeah, I think you're right. Not to say it wasn't viable before, but, you know, you know what I mean, just, just in terms of scale and turning it into a really big com company. Yeah, I mean, like, the, like you said, these gaming companies have been around for ages, and video games, online gaming has been around for forever. But I think that what we're seeing during the pandemic is a different use case that may not have really been there before. And mm -hmm. it's this use case of friends that would normally get together to play a game together, like a board game. Um, now with all these other trends of um, telecom, tele, you know, video conferencing and people maybe looking for alternative ways of communicating, so all these other trends are kind of impacting this area of gaming and entertainment. And I think that um, it's just that it's creating something a little bit different than clearly the way things were before the pandemic started. For sure. Well, uh, I think we've covered a lot of products and service categories of you know, how things have changed during the pandemic and maybe where we think things are headed afterwards. And maybe next time we reconnect uh, things will will be looking brighter and uh maybe you start to see how some of these uh trends and some of these bets we've made start to play out yeah looking forward to it and we'll use some of our new collaborative software that we found <laughs> come up with some great content for our for our listeners sounds great all right thanks Kyle. okay jeff